episode of Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and Jen talk with the biggest social media influencer of all time, Satan. I'm getting word from Satan's publicist that we'll need to reschedule something about a TikTok collab with Logan Paul. And now here are the podcast hosts who could never fall from grace. Because, let's be honest, they didn't have much to begin with. Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. If you've been here before, you know Allie and I are performers. We had a live comedy show where we performed the internet. It was our script. We loved it. Uh, We then had a web series, Two Girls, One Show, where we met the people behind all the internet posts we've been performing. And now here we are with Two Girls, One Podcast with The Daily Dot. And we're talking to people behind internet communities and phenomena that we find interesting. And we also have our producer here. As usual, hello Matt. Hello, just I'm here. I'm producing. Can producing you, can you things. Hear that? I'm just, that's that's me. That's me that's typing, and that's cool. producing. I'm Sounds producing. Sounds a little it. musical. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so today's topic, everybody, is going to be a good one. Um, in fact, you might be familiar with it because there's a pretty popular documentary out there that covers. What it is. Allie, what are we doing today? We're looking at Satanists. That's right. Uh, There's a documentary out there called Hail Satan. You can watch it on Hulu. And they are a growing community. And we've known about them for a while. But it's very IRL, as as some might say. And so we were kind of hesitant to cover it. But, you know, as the organization continues to grow, and of course, little global pandemic, a lot of the activities and community is growing more and more online. So we thought, you know what, it's time. And I highly recommend the documentary. It was really quite fascinating. You know, if today's conversation is at all interesting to you, the documentary goes very deep into how this organization was formed and how it's grown. We are speaking with Lucian Greaves, the co-founder of the Satanic Temple. And just to say, they are the only federally recognized international non-theistic religious satanic organization. (laughs) So it'll be really interesting. Um, But before we get into that, I have a quick bone to pick with the two of you, Mm. which is that recently... I'm not going to say when, because this will come out a little while after, but recently it was May 4th and I did not see any Star Wars content from either of you on social media. Uh, I posted on Twitter. I, I, okay. So that's, I'm calling bullshit. I, All right, that's fair. I don't go I on Twitter tweeted, that often. So. <laughs> yeah. I tweeted out our fucking Jedi episode. Okay. Well, then oh, I'm, nice. I'm in the wrong and that was a great idea. God damn. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I, mean, I blew it. I should have done that it, too. So actually I have a bone to pick with the two of you. <laughs> going on right now <laughs> hey okay speaking of this is just so this is past the day and so completely irrelevant however in honor of may the 4th i recently learned that the music the genre of music that is performed by the alien band in the most Isley cantina you're obviously familiar with this song and the style of music that Luke and Obi-Wan encounter when they go into this place. You know what yes, I'm talking sir. about? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> kind of. Okay. 
the actual name of the musical style, the canonical real name of this music is called jizz. No, that should have been trivia. I don't know. Yeah, how was that uh, yeah. not trivia? I, on the Jedi episode. I'm oh, sorry. Man. I'm going Jizz... to need you to send me some supporting material. Yes. Uh, it's in the wiki. That sounds weird. This, but, okay. This is wonderful. Uh, why is it called jizz? Well, jazz is a real form of music. So in Star Wars, let's call it jizz. And nobody thought. <sighs> oh, my God. Think about that. In our web series, Two Girls, One Show, there's an episode that is based on the Amazon self-published book, this is real, called Semenology. (laughs) And you know what? Shout out to Michael Bahovsky, who wrote some original music for us for this episode. And I will never forget the chorus, (laughs) something like... (laughs) <laughs> Jizz and Wallum jazzin. <laughs> Jen, do you remember the rest of that verse? Because I'm I do not. drawing a I, blank. <laughs> but Jizz and Wallum jazzin, yeah, forever emblazoned in my brain. Was Jizz slang in the 70s? Oh, Who knows? It's Jizz okay. and Wallum jazzin. Hard times at the semen speakeasy. Something like that. <laughs> I, think that I think it was that. So smart. So Truly smart. one of the all the entire series is great. And I do encourage listeners to go and seek it out um, because you guys made a fucking TV show and it wasn't <laughs> like, oh, let's do a YouTube sh- show. It would literally be it could it should have been could have been still can be a, a network television show that you guys <laughs> made. And and the semenology episode is. Is the creme de la creme, if I may say. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I will always have a soft spot and a hard spot in my place, in my in my heart for that episode. I know, I know. Yeah, it was our first time making a web series. We were like, let's just go go to town and go bonkers. (laughs) Go bonkers. And Uh, male pregnancy also. Male pregnancy is a pretty good one. Was a great one as well. Thank you. Those are my faves. (laughs) Semenology and and Mpreg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was was jizz a slang term in the 70s? It's a great question and also I don't want to speak out of turn because again, Lucas created this stuff in the 70s and was probably thinking like this will never work. This will be a one and done B movie that no one will ever watch and so these sort of cultural terms probably came about in wider Star Wars lore over the course of the 80s and 90s. So who knows when this term, but again, canonically in the official wiki of Star Wars lore, this is a real thing. Hmm. So well, fascinating. Well, thanks for making my day. I was already excited about this interview, but now I know yeah. about Star Wars jizz. You know what we're not <laughs> excited about? What? Trivia. All right, yeah. let's do it. Today's episode is about the satanic temple. So obviously today's trivia is about a highly relevant topic to satanism and all that stuff let's 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 you know what i'm talking about let's all say it together on three two one katie perry (laughs) i thought i'm sorry i thought we were on the same same yeah we were i think we are yeah okay
as you might know if you follow the exploits of pop stars, uh, she was born and raised in a born again Christian household, uh, very a very conservative branch of Christianity. Attended Christian schools, a cr- Christian summer camps in Arizona and California, and specifically, Perry and her siblings were not allowed to do certain things growing up. I have three things that Katy Perry was not allowed to do in a born-again Christian household. Two of these are real. One of them I made up. You are looking for uh, the one that I made up, the fake one. Are you ready? Ready. Ready. Katy Perry was not allowed to eat Lucky Charms because the word luck reminded her mother of Lucifer. No. Okay, okay. B, Katy Perry's family could not refer to the popular and delicious appetizer known as deviled eggs. Instead, they called them angeled eggs. As oh, <laughs> I'm going with B. I don't even care what C is. <laughs> C, Katy Perry was primarily allowed to listen to gospel music. Secular music was basically banned and highly discouraged. No, no rock and roll, no pop music allowed in the Perry household. That is C. Oh, that also makes a lot of sense. But wait. Oh, there's a D? Choice D. All of these are true. E, none of them are true. I made them all up. I'm going to go with D. This feels complicated. You're you're saying all are true. (laughs) Yep. I'm going to go with D. Allie goes with D all. I don't believe she didn't have popular music because it would have inspired her to do what she does. So uh, I'm going to go with A. Jen says that Lucky Charms were banned, that that is, that is actually true. Yeah, that just feels like something you made up when you were having breakfast this morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you, <laughs> you're looking for the made up one. You're, you're claiming that I made up Lucky Charms. Got it. Indeed. All yeah. right. We will find out the correct answer after this commercial break. One and all, we are congregated here today to pay tribute and sincere thanks to the following Heathens, the people that uh, we want to thank for donating to our Patreon at the $10 level or more. Thank you to Chris Harrison, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Melissa Elliott, James Dozier, Deborah Duberpants, Kathy Phillips, William, Matthew Scott, Wesley Cordell, You've lifted our spirits, you've raised us up and brought us back down again. I don't know what else. And around, <laughs> this, and a, put your right foot in and your left foot. <laughs> okay, thank you so, much, so much for supporting us at patreon.com slash 2G1P. And if you also would like to hear us weirdly stumble over inventive ways to thank you every episode, you can visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. Thank you, heathens. what it takes to insert yourself callously into conversations that have literally nothing to do with you. Think you have the guts to step in and silence marginalized voices that have fallen on deaf ears since the dawn of time? We We need need you! you! 
right now, across the globe, thousands of people are having meaningful conversations about race, gender, and sexuality with no one willing to take one for the team and speak over them. We are looking for qualified and enthusiastic candidates who are interested in our highly specialized op Roach, TM, program which will train you to become the loud voice in the room that is never required. Our goal is to train a legion of warriors who are interested in dismantling PC culture and believe the best approach to social issues is to deny their existence. Using our approach, TM, you will learn how to redirect subject matter towards approach, approved views such as I don't see race and hashtag not all men. Deny the reality of a person's existence by pointing to isolated incidents like this one time your buddy Jim was falsely accused of rape because Jim is a great guy and they were both drunk. Use the proper escape route of I'm just playing devil's advocate at crucial moments in the conversation. Believe that your voice is important and that you have a seat at the table just like everyone else. Think this is you? Preference will be given to cisgender males with an absolute inability to self-reflect or think critically. Contact us immediately to get started with an Oproach TM kit and information on joining our local chapters. Because every tough conversation deserves, deserves to, to be, be inter interrupted. interrupted. Matt, are you going to apply? <laughs> I feel like I, I'm not, I can't comment on this, this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed. All right. Well, let's move right along to trivia. <laughs> In that case. <laughs> Hashtag not all producers is all I have to say. Today's trivia is about, of course, you love her, Katy Perry. She was born and raised in a born-again Christian household and was not allowed to do some stuff. We're looking for the one I made up. Was it A not allowed to eat lucky charms because the word luck sounds like lucifer that's what i chose Jen, you mm -hmm. you chose you chose that one you think that's the fake one correct that only it could only come from the mind of of me of your serial loving brain yeah <laughs> i don't know sure <laughs> i need a trivia question i'm just shoveling lucky charms into my mouth and be like mm. oh, <laughs> lucifer <laughs> <laughs> B, uh, Katy Perry's family would call them angel eggs instead of devil eggs. Nobody chose that. C. I mean, I did. Oh, I chose all well, of them. Sure. <laughs> C, uh, no popular music, only gospel music. D, all of these are true. Allie went with that. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody picked. None of these are true. Are you prepared for the correct answer? Yes. Which is the fake one? The answer is D. All are true. Allie gets oh, it right. What? Yay! Wow. Katy Perry would sneak CDs of uh, rock and pop music into the house from friends. Uh, and that's so the combination of gospel and the sort of contraband music that was was uh, outlawed in the household was what got her 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 start, her love of music. Yeah, you, you were asking about that, Jen. Most of this is from uh, both a a biography of Katy Perry uh, called Rebel Dreamer and also an in, a, tw a 2009 interview uh, with MTV News uh, talking about her childhood. And so, yeah, uh, no lucky charms. No lucky charms. They are the devil's food. Get back 
get away. <laughs> Honestly, Satan. that really makes me respect her. Like, that's just so many layers of things to have to break away from. And it's really hard when you're indoctrinated like that. I really, you know, it yeah. really makes me respect that journey. <laughs> yeah, Honestly. Sure. I, I agree. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody. We are very excited to begin our interview on today's episode. We have a guest with us who, you know, we've been really looking forward to speaking to. Please welcome to the show, the co-founder of the Satanic Temple, Lucian Greaves. Hi, Lucian. Hello. How are you? Doing very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How are you? Not bad. No, not bad at all. Thank you. Well, let's just dive in. To start, can you tell our listeners what is and isn't the Satanic Temple? The Satanic Temple is a worldwide, non-theistic, religious satanic organization. We're corrupting the moral structure of Western civilization (laughs) and undoing all the great work that has been done for the previous centuries, really. Wonderful. (laughs) But I I think uh, when most people, if they know of us at all, they know of some of the activist activities we've been involved in trying to preserve the separation of church and state and trying to uh, force the government to respect pluralism when they open the doors for religious expression and public grounds and that kind of thing. A lot of people think that that's the only thing we do, but in fact, we're recognized by the IRS as a church and we have congregations worldwide and people really do uh, religiously identify with this, even though we're we're atheistic. And even though I say we're undoing the moral structure of Western civilization, I feel that in reality, we're preserving our democratic and secular values that are being undermined now by a theocratic movement trying to install evangelical supremacy. Beautiful. Um, so I, I really hope all of our listeners go and watch the documentary. But just in case they don't, um, I was wondering if you could just let everyone know what are the seven fundamental tenets? Well, the seven fun- fundamental tenets are guiding principles that we use to kind of define what Satanism is to us. A bit general, I guess. Um, Sometimes they're criticized for being vague and not actually saying anything about Satanism at all. Uh, But to us, you know, Satanism either resonates for you or it doesn't. That's symbolic structure. And it has more to do probably with the background you came up with and whether or not uh, you feel impelled to kind of liberate yourself from superstition or religious programming. But I can uh, read off the seven tenets yeah, for you if no, you want. Yeah, I love them. I love them. And I think our listeners will love them as well. Okay. Well, first, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another's to forego one's own. Five, belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. And seven, Every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. 
the spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Amen. Beautiful. <laughs> I would imagine the one about scientific facts has been very relevant in the last four to five years. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so is the one about the body's inviolability, uh, yes. especially being that we fight for our religious reproductive rights in an era now when there's such pushback uh, yeah. and attempts to try to overturn Roe versus Wade. So just as we're sort of giving our, we definitely want to get into all of this, um, but you know, for audiences who are just getting to know you, what is the difference between the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan? The Church of Satan was founded in 1966 by Anton LaVey, and a lot of people have an idea of who Anton LaVey is. He was a bald character with the goatee who would sometimes dress up in the devil horns and do rituals and things like that. The Church of Satan doesn't really exist today as it did back then and probably wouldn't exist at all if it weren't for the internet. Uh, they're not recognized as a tax-exempt religious organization. Uh, they're pretty much just a Twitter feed right now. But philosophically, uh, we depart in that uh, the Church of Satan really espouses a pro-authoritarian, also kind of magical, mystical view of the world from a very social Darwinist perspective. So our brand of Satanism in which we're actually coming together in organized fashion and working together very much conflicts with the Church of Satan's idea of being isolate individuals who have no real uh, tangible engagement with uh, real world issues at all. So... I love that at least what I gleaned from the documentary is that this essentially started as a prank that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. The documentary says that Satanists are the original trolls. So I was wondering how you feel about that. We also just interviewed Ken M, who is a legendary Internet troll. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to know how you felt about being called a troll and what you think about Internet trolls. Are they keeping up? You know, how's it going? I think. Trolls have a lot to answer for now. Uh, I see there's revival of some of the stupidest things of from the dustbin of history. Um, you know, neo-fascist movements and uh, people who actually claim to believe that the world is flat. And I think some of the ludicrous conspiracy theories we've seen start up and actually gain traction probably started with smart asses thinking they were funny online and thinking that they could get people to believe this stuff. And they actually did. Um, I think it gets a little tedious now for journalists to keep asking the question when they write articles about the satanic temple, if we're actually legitimate or not, or are we just trolling? Uh, because at this point, um, I think we've gone beyond uh, yeah. showing that we're were authentic. And at the point where you have over a quarter of a million membership and many of whom, you know, clearly, uh, openly, religiously identify with what we're doing, the, the question is a bit outdated. And even the idea that we started out as a prank kind of belies the reality that, you know, I already identified as a Satanist before working with the Satanic Temple. What the Satanic Temple was doing, though, at the beginning was simply failing to recognize how deeply 
this would resonate for people and how, uh, how many people would respond very quickly and want to identify with what we were doing. We never had the audacity to think we could take it that far. Yeah. That's what I'm so curious about. Like, how has that been for you? Because it started out as something, it seems like it's just grown and grown and grown beyond what you potentially even imagined. Right. Well, you know, that's the, core question when it comes to trolling and pranksterism, right? Is there something deeper you're trying to do or are you just trying to piss people off and shake them up? In, in our case, you know, we, we really did have a serious message. We thought we just didn't have the hubris to think that we could make it as far as we did. You know, we didn't think that people would really uh, come to us and ask for more. You know, we thought people could kind of see what we were doing when it came to uh, advocating for pluralism for alternative views by using the same religious liberty exemptions and privileges that were being afforded to evangelical groups almost exclusively. You know, for me, I didn't want my face or name on it at all, you know, but I really wanted this project to work. I wanted people to understand this. And it didn't take long before I only felt comfortable being the one answering any of the real-time questions. but being somebody who came to media attention and being uh, a not very extroverted person and not really seeking that kind of attention at all was very difficult for me the first first few years there. It's gotten better since, I think. Mm -hmm. There's this distinction, I think, in the sense that what you were doing was never quite pranking. It was really, to me, even from the beginning, it seems like comedic performance art or like edgy performance art. You know, I'm thinking of just for our listeners, one of the, the first stunt at least covered in the documentary was um, getting gay and lesbian couples to kiss over Fred Phelps' wife's grave, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I thought was delightful. So, um, yeah, so I think it's reductive just in the sense that, you know, I think it's funny that they call you trolls, but it's, to me, it almost spans more performance art. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I agree, but it it kind of speaks to my early naivety because, uh, earlier on, I thought we could do things in like a humorous vein and it didn't occur to me that that would diminish our authenticity to people. And and now that sounds ridiculous. You know, if you do something humorous, people think that the the, the only reason you did it was to make people laugh and and there's not necessarily anything authentic to it at all. Well, as comedians, we're offended by that point, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but it's common throughout everything we do. We get these questions all the time that act like any element of what we do and who we are must be mutually exclusive to anything else. So we always get these questions like, well, are you political activists or are you actually a religion or are you pranksters or is this a uh, authentic expression of, of what you believe and what you do? And it's, you know, the answer is just yes. What, what do you <laughs> want from us? It's going to be us? all of the you know, above. Like, what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, and, it didn't occur to me earlier on how difficult that would be for a lot of people to grasp. And maybe the message would have been, <laughs> you know, uh, 
a bit differently cohered if if I had known, but I'm kind of glad I didn't, you know. Well, yeah, okay. That's that's my my burning question is like sort of any regrets on the name because you could have called the organization Secular Justice Fighters or wh- whatever, and it, no, all I the disagree. tenants. Have- I, I disagree with that. Having seen the documentary, I also I also disagree. I at first yeah, yeah. I first I felt that way. Yeah. We wouldn't be being true to ourselves in that way. To us, this kind of like embracing the blasphemy is essential to how we identify this and Mm -hmm. what we do. And Mm -hmm. it's not, and as I've explained, I think probably in the film too, that embracing the blasphemy isn't just about, it's not, it's not about pissing other people off who are true believers or whatever else. It kind of goes back to that idea of how we were raised in the environment we're in, this whole mythological backdrop of, of Christianity and, and, our ability to to stand apart from it in loudly, you know, and you just can't put a different kind of iconography to that and expect it to have meaning to yourself, even, you know, even, even in, from an atheistic perspective, these metaphors we use in this kind of artistic framework is deeply important in, in something you can't just, uh, you can't arbitrarily change. And that makes perfect sense. But I also simultaneously see why it confuses people. And I, and maybe that's the secret sauce here. Well, right. And and I feel like I saw that conflict best when we first were going to do that black mass event at Harvard that's discussed in the documentary. We were invited by a student group and they were inviting all different types of religious identities and they were going to do like a Japanese tea ceremony and other types of things. And they were asking us about any satanic rituals. And we did have the idea that people would be really pissed off about a black mass, but we thought we could mitigate that by saying it would be a reenactment of a black mass. Now, I mean, there's kind of humor there, the idea of just reenacting a ritual rather than (laughs) actually executing it. But in the realm of superstition, I thought it might work if we're just saying like, okay, this is more like a play with an academic uh, angle to it where we talk about what the, how this is meaningful to us. And to see the reaction just showed that people had no idea that this could actually be meaningful to any of us in a private context, that it was only a calculated insult to them. That it was, the Black Mass wasn't an idea that took off from earlier myths that were meant to make pariahs of people, create outgroups, and justify treating them badly. It was more this idea that the Black Mass actually had this supernatural value to corrupt the spiritual quality of life around everybody, or it was meant as hate speech against Catholics or whatever. And I think. That was a real window to me into understanding what people thought about what we were doing and how they really just kind of felt that everything we were doing was performative, just meant to provoke a reaction from them. And I think to this day, it doesn't occur to a lot of people from the outside that a lot of our congregational groups, they'll do events entirely privately without inviting members of the public in because it's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And I think once you start looking at the satanic temple and seeing that those things happen, it really undermines that whole narrative that we're just a prank. 
Sorry for my newfound obsession with the documentary, but I did write down this one quote that I loved, which also goes to what, which goes back to what you had just asked, Matt, like why Satan as opposed to just atheism. I think it was Stu in the documentary who said, and I just thought it was so relevant for our podcast too. He said, quote, being an atheist is boring. There's no community. There's no iconography. <laughs> there's no history. There's no code of conduct or ethics. There's no tenets. It's just defining what you're not. And with modern Satanism, you can define what you are. Which I thought was really amazing. And yeah, I mean, it's tough because like everyone just immediately misunderstands Satanism or they just hear Satan and they freak out. Um, but I, then I think that also points to the fact that we don't look into things and everything is just like knee jerk reaction. But anyway, I thought that aspect was really interesting and relevant to our podcast because we look at communities and the fact that, you know, his point was in atheism, there isn't a community. It's just something you're not. And in Satanism, there's this community. Yeah, I know that that was a that was a great line from Stu. And one thing you should know about Stu is that one time we were doing an event in Detroit. Detroit. And behind a curtain at this venue, there was an inflatable mattress and Stu and his girlfriend went and started making out on this inflatable mattress behind the curtain. And apparently she shifted weight. And because it was inflatable, it kind of sent him flying. And he <laughs> tumbled out from behind the curtain and everybody saw his exposed penis. And he was mortified by this and he came to me and he was like, I'm just going to be known as the guy who fell out from behind the curtain drunk at this event with his penis out. And I said, Stu, everybody's drunk. Everybody's partying, partying. Nobody's going to know this happened. And I was right. Nobody really knew, but I just decided to bring it up on this podcast now. <laughs> now we all know. Exclusive. Right. Yeah. Now, now you know about Stu. Now we know all about Stu. He's, he doesn't just have great quotes. He has a dick. So that's nice. <laughs> right. um, so you mentioned the Black Mass, and we know the temple has undertaken a lot of projects. Could you tell our listeners just a few that you are proud of? I'm proud of all of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it can be really disheartening how difficult it is for us to gain traction in some of our lawsuits. And we're seeing more and more, I think, how differently we're treated in the courts. And it, it's very concerning. It's very disconcerting because uh, it's getting to the point where I feel that judges aren't even putting on the uh, airs of being neutral in contrast to how they would treat other religious liberty claims. It's also disappointing to see that when we get a bad ruling, uh, and, and they'll always try to dismiss our case on technical grounds and start really parsing things that you'll never see parsed when uh, groups like Liberty Council or the Congressional Prayer Caucus is trying to push for what they call religious liberty. And they, uh, you know, ostensibly have the harder uphill battle because we're never asking for exclusive placement or treatment. And we're always uh, treading ground that they've they've already opened up for us. They've already explored this territory and and uh, set the precedent. But I have to say that I'm most proud of the kind of community we've built and how many people seemed to feel that this sense of religious community was going to be forever unavailable to them. That they didn't have a people besides perhaps some 
identity group that they belong to. Uh, we have a huge population of trans Satanists and the general LGBTQ community probably makes up over 50% of the Satanic Temple. And then you have people who came out of religious fundamentalist groups. They came away from superstition be just because they couldn't believe the intellectually insulting things. They felt obligated to believe in those, those networks that they were in. And they also felt that they would lose that sense of community. They just thought they would never have that again. And, and they found that with the Satanic Temple. And I think that's what I'm most proud of. We would love to talk about some of the projects that the temple has undertaken. And specifically, I loved the counter protest against abortion protesters because it actually uh, crosses over into one of our favorite Two Girls, One Podcast episodes, episode 20 about adult babies. So I was wondering if you could tell our listeners what happened and did you get any reaction from the adult baby community? No, I don't remember any uh, reaction from the adult baby community. But that was one of the earlier things. Uh, it was a counter-protest that our Detroit chapter came up with. And, you know, the counter-protesters dressed up like babies. And the idea was that uh, they were fetishizing the idea that, this, that the fetus is a baby. And, you know, you see in the documentary people saying, I think that messaging was a bit lost or whatever. And, and, and probably it was, but it was... Not uh, on me! <laughs> I loved it! <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, it was very eye-catching, for sure. As with everything we do in the Satanic Temple now, especially since it's grown so big, there's going to be some segment of the Satanic Temple that's for it and some that's against it. So there's always debate within, you know, some people felt that it was, the message was too unclear and, um, and it just looked like it was plainly trying to be offensive. And other people were very much for it, saying it. This is exactly what we're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, this kind of debating has, uh, has carried on throughout the whole Satanic Temple's history. And I think it's actually a mark of our uh, strength rather than weakness that we're always kind of debating these things. And we're always kind of debating the, uh, the limits of the authority of uh, the executive ministry over the individual congregations. It's kind of like a microcosm of the American project. Absolutely. Um, how, how do people become members? Now that you just sign up online and there is no fee that goes along with that. Of course, we charge you if you're going to buy a, a certificate and card, but you don't need those to be a member either. And that's another thing we're sometimes criticized for is that it's just too easy to be a member. But <laughs> there again, the, the way we're treated in contrast to other religious organizations is just bizarre. There's this idea that startup religions have to have bizarre archaic rituals. You know, you have to wear funny clothing or, or chant bizarre things. I don't know why that is. Um, but if you're going to follow one of the mainstream entrenched religions, you just have to say that that's what it is. And then you can even go to court making the claim that you don't want to serve homosexuals at your business or whatever, and you don't even have to relate that to any uh, tenets or, or scriptures uh, to make wow. that, uh, that, that claim work for the, for the judges. Unless you're the Satanic Temple, you don't need to justify any of that. Huh. 
within hours of Trump being elected, you said that you're, is it true uh, that the web traffic skyrocketed? Yeah, it's uh, during the Obama administration, I think people were much more inclined to see what we were doing was as hilarious without much value beyond that type of entertainment they were deriving from it. But when Trump came into office uh, against most people's expectations who were following the polls, uh, I, I think people realized that the fight was real. And now Mike Pence was a vice president and we were going to have a judiciary tilted towards theocracy. The whole tone towards the satanic temple changed dramatically very quickly. And I, I felt that change in, uh, during speaking engagements I would do as well. And you guys have a pretty big online presence. So can you tell us about, you know, the the community online, how it's interacting, how that's grown? Well, I wish Facebook would die. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really wish we could just depopulate it entirely. And I've been trying to get the Satanic Temple to do that. But so many people are reticent and everybody always claims that uh, it's an imperfect platform it's what people use now and that for some reason we need to persist with it. So I, I think it kind of depends on the platform where you talk about how the community interacts on, on Facebook. It's always a shit show. Everybody's always arguing about the stupidest things. <laughs> Twitter. I feel like the uh, attitude is somewhat the same as, as Facebook. Not, not as bad for some reason, at least not for me. When the coronavirus pandemic started, we were trying to think of ways to keep people, um, to keep people organizing and to keep people within their social groups without meeting up in person and without just having to fall back on a shit platform like Facebook or something like that. So we did uh, work with some developers on putting together a virtual headquarters, which is kind of. Now, since we pay for the server space and everything, we just use it on a limited basis. It's not always open, but we do do events. The layout is like you'll have a we have a map with different rooms and you can go into different rooms and some of the different rooms are organized in different ways. Some of them organize more like Zoom discussions, some of them where something's going to be uh, there's going to be a central presentation on the main screen and people are uh, communicating in a sidebar chat. And it's worked out really well. I also started uh, early on in the pandemic casting uh, movie nights through our streaming platform, TST TV, which I do Wednesday nights now. And I just play triple features of some of the worst films ever. And in a sidebar chat, we all just kind of talk about it. And, you know, these seem like superfluous little entertaining things to do but some people have really credited that with uh saving their sanity and even their lives during the the pandemic as they tried to adjust to lockdown and isolation what movies are you showing <laughs> i'm really into this genre of film which is like middle-aged guys with too much expendable income trying to <laughs> cast themselves as the action heroes in <laughs> hiring aged out porn stars to to do these things with them I'm, I'm particularly into the films of a guy named neil breen from nevada you know he, he does all these vanity film projects with himself as the action star and 
there's just something very entertaining about them. Are you a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, my favorite show of all time? Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, it's like watching movie nights with with Satanists is is pretty much like uh, a mystery science theater ad hoc, <laughs> a communal a yeah. communal riff uh, with the with the congregation. I love it. I may I may have to hop in there with you with you guys. Yeah, and if it's a sidebar chat too, you don't have to worry about anybody overpowering the uh, the dialogue. <laughs> you just ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> So not to harp on, on Facebook, uh, but we saw a lot of comments on your Facebook page from like more maybe hardcore Christian people. Maybe they were jokes. We weren't sure. But we were wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the backlash that you receive online. Uh, I try not to look so much half the time. It just kind it's of... good practice. Yeah. <laughs> but especially with Facebook, I find it amazing that I will post uh, something I've written, an article or whatever, and it's clear that nobody goes beyond reading the headline before they leave a comment. And sometimes these comments can be longer than the article itself, and they didn't bother to fucking read it to begin with. <laughs> There's just a whole kind of culture being developed by social media right now that's really, really bad and, <laughs> and certainly not good for uh, fomenting nuanced dialogue. Uh, there was even... I, I work with a band, too, and we have a CD coming out at the end of this month on the 28th. And recently I posted one of the tracks, and the track was called Exorcism. And a music magazine covered the fact that we released the, the Exorcism track. And as part of that, I gave them a quote about uh, Exorcism being this backward superstitious practice at an untold number of people. Uh, die from having performed on them every year. And then I went to say something about the track itself. That's when I realized people don't even read a whole quote when you put <laughs> it there. Because in the comments, nobody seemed to realize that I had been announcing that we released a track. They were just all talking about the nature of exorcism. Anyways, yeah, no, I get pushback all the time. I uh, have never gotten Facebook to respond to straight up death threats toward me with anything other than one of these notes back that say, we looked at this, it doesn't violate our community standards, even though <sighs> it clearly does. Um, wow. Another thing I get all the time is uh, Instagram and Facebook imposter pages. And I have to spend a good deal of time getting these pulled down. Other t a lot of times people volunteer and do it for me, but they're wasting their time too, you know? And, and I don't know, I, this is a whole different topic, but I do feel like there really needs to be some severe regulation in place. And there has to be some kind of method by which you can put your identity on a no-call list of some type. Like, I don't mm. want an Instagram account and I don't want to keep reporting fake Instagram accounts that are trying to collect membership dues from people in my name. Cause it happens all mm. the time. Wow. I don't feel like I should have to fight Facebook and go back and forth with them continually again and again to, to tell them, no, this, this actually isn't me. This actually is uh, a violation because they're using pictures of me. They're not just incidentally sharing the same name, you know, that kind of thing. 
But any in any case, I get horrific messages all the time, but I try not to pay attention to them. And I think there's a, a bigger problem with the lack of regulation on social media. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we have some questions now from our Discord. First is from Chad. We wanted to ask, what do members of the Satanic Temple do to be a close-knit social community? Well, they do regular meetings and they do activities together. And just having that shared sense of ethics and that shared kind of narrative that brings them together through Satanism is something that really causes them to be tightly knit groups. And they do together do internally their own ritual events, their own parties, their own meetups, and and, and all that type of thing. There's only a kind of, you know, limited degree to which myself or the other co-founder Malcolm has authored any of this to a large degree. You know, we let the kind of congregations come together and set certain guidelines, but it's been interesting to see how they've developed and what kind of activities are interesting to them and to what degree they've taken an interest in doing charity work. And I think that's just something that's kind of a natural outcome to some people when they feel they have a place among a people and they begin to feel more benevolent towards everybody else. And I think you're seeing people who previously may have felt themselves more inclined towards antisocial tendencies doing things now like collecting socks for the homeless. So, and then also from Rhett from Discord, uh, they asked, have you noticed a trend of religion swinging to more extreme ends as members decline? Anything to say about that? I, I, I hate to say that we're looking at the death gasp of white evangelical America, because that's been being said for all my life. And they just keep gaining ground as they uh, gain more and more political influence. But I do think that the evangelical movement, the theocrats in our politics, are overplaying their hand. And the popularity of the Satanic Temple, I think, is uh, at least partially a byproduct of that. I think it wouldn't be so easy for people to understand the pro-social value of Satanism and the Satanic Temple if they weren't so readily able to contrast it against the depraved designs of the theocratic, well-financed, well-networked network uh, that supports guys like Mike Pence. And I think the outcome of that is unclear and only the future will tell. It's really difficult especially now, to predict how things will go. But I do think that as time goes on and people see the legitimacy of non-theistic religion and understand that the Satanic Temple is recognized as an IRS tax-exempt religious organization, they see how religiously people identify with this, even though it's non-theistic, I think we're going to find people becoming a lot more comfortable identifying non-theistically even with mainstream religious identities like Christianity. We already see a lot of secular Jewish people, and I think we're going to start seeing secular Muslims, secular Christians, and non-theistic religious identifications of every type. And I think that will be a very 
positive outcome. Then Retz also asked, are you familiar with street epistemology epistemology, and ways to have productive conversations with believers? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a friend of mine, I forget how to pronounce his last name, Tony Magna Bosco, some damn thing <laughs> like that. Met him at a few conferences I spoke at, but he does a YouTube series of street epistemology and he goes up to people and just discusses their beliefs with them ask them if they can think critically about it in another way. He has a very respectful dialogue with believers a lot of times, and it's interesting some of the results he gets, you know, talking to people who clearly haven't thought about some of the larger questions related to some of their beliefs. It's a great way to learn to engage with people on their level and get them maybe to see things in another way. I have to admit, you know, sometimes I just get I just get pissed, you know, and feel that people are being willfully obtuse, especially now with uh, the coronavirus and dealing with anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers and having people running around claiming they actually believe the bullshit espoused by QAnon. It, it gets very difficult to speak to people yeah. respectfully. Yeah, it's also kind of wild to me how many people I know who were raised Christian and there's like this one little detail that someone you know, asked them about that really unraveled the whole thing for them. Uh, I find it interesting how often that seems to happen. Right. It's a, it's a slow burn, you know, like uh, it, it's a cumulative thing. It seems to be the consensus of people who try to get people away from irrational and destructive beliefs. You know, you're not going to have uh, that one discussion at one time with the QAnon proponent that makes them say, huh, I guess you're right. I, I fucked <laughs> up. I was wrong. The more they sit on these various things that really strain their cognitive dissonance, the more likely the strength of those beliefs are to fizzle out for them eventually. That's such valuable advice because I, I was thinking about this recently. I don't know why. The fantasy that I think we all have is we argue with someone and we say, well, what about this? And they're like, oh, oh my God, you're right. I, I give it all up. Like That's what we want. We want that instant gratification of being right, but the actual truth is like just put this plant the seed and walk right. away and that's maybe why one i'm day. mystified yeah. people reach out to me uh because they want to argue with me they want to debate with me in private and i think <laughs> i have no interest in doing that like if i'm going to argue with an asshole i'm going to go on tucker carlson's show but i'm doing that <laughs> not for him <laughs> you know I'm, I'm doing that for the for the millions of viewers you know it's right. because yeah, i know yeah, there's yeah. some people okay. watching and they're like and, and I got messages like that after I was, I was on his show a couple times and I actually got messages from people who claim to be regular Tucker Carlson viewers saying like, yeah, I love Tucker Carlson and everything, but he fucked up with you on, you know, he, he wasn't making his case and you, you did a good huh. job. And, hmm. and I don't know how I feel. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about sharing fans with Tucker Carlson, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that's, man, that's a victory. I mean, yeah, God, you, you, that's, that's, that's if I God's may say, work. Oh, that's sorry. God's <laughs> work. Yeah. Well, that's why I go on the conservative talk shows and I hammer on the religious liberty message. You know, I, I go on there and I don't try to be insulting, but I say we have the Constitution on our side and this is what religious liberty looks like. Mm -hmm. And do you really want the government dictating to you what's appropriate when it comes to religious identification and expression? I know whenever I do that, there's a lot of frustrated people 
listening to this and thinking, God damn it, those are our lines. <laughs> <laughs> So Lucian, I have one more question and um, I guess I'll frame it from a personal perspective, but I think it's going to apply to a lot of uh, listeners and and uh, ties back to what we were discussing earlier. So I'll say, I believe incredibly strongly in every single word and letter of the seven tenets of the satanic temple. And I am personally interested in finding a community of like-minded people to do all the things you just described. This sounds wonderful to me. Then I'm also going to say that it would be hard for me to ascribe, to label myself or call myself a member of the Satanic Temple because of the cultural baggage of that word, and not because I'm afraid of it. Or It's more like, I don't want to spend the energy explaining everything that we just discussed here to family members, friends, other people who don't understand what your org is all about. So what advice would you give to me and other secular people who love everything you're doing, but would have trouble getting on board with a word that has theistic connotations when when I am looking for a a non-theistic place to find my people? Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I would say uh, just wait. This isn't a static state of affairs. And I think even at the time when we started, it would have been unheard of to think that the things that have happened since would have happened in so short of a time. Before the Hail Satan documentary, there was a 45-minute CNN documentary done by Lisa Ling about us. And before it aired, I kind of fell into a panic because I hadn't seen it, wondering what I had done. I thought maybe I had ruined There's no way I thought CNN was going to give us a, a fair hearing. Uh, I thought, you know, the audience would revolt. And now it's not uncommon to see op-ed pieces, you know, in mainstream publications speaking correctly about our point of view. Mm-hmm. As time goes on, our population is growing so large that we're going to start being dealt with in uh, in more reasonable ways. Uh, those those questions about whether we're just a prank or whatever are going to go away. We're going to start showing up on the pew polls in more and more even rural American households are going to understand that by and large, people who identify as Satanists are non-theistic and have their own affirmative values and pro-social values even. And I think, you know, in another generation, uh, Satanism is going to be just another religious identity, and that's going to be a good thing. This org and the broader culture are rapidly starting to deconstruct literally two to 3,000 years of iconography like how it's laughable to think that you could do that and yet i do think it's happened like 30 50 years ago if someone said the word satan or lucifer whatever it would be like oh and now it's and now it's a joke it's not you know it's like a silly mythological thing that we can all just like reference or have a laugh about and that is tremendous in the sense that satan is now like santa claus uh, well, I mean, Santa, Santa Claus is real. I don't well, know why. It's uh, not, right, yeah, uh, sure. right, but you have to think about what this is arriving in parallel to. It's, it's mm-hmm. not just me by any means, but you have to think back, like, 
at the time of the New Deal, you know, Christianity was largely understood to be charitable, inclusive, and 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 work towards all these kinds of pro-social ends. Mm-hmm. And now we just see it used as a political bludgeon to try to justify discrimination against other people and to otherwise uh, abridge their rights and to impose a specific point of view upon the whole rest of the world. And, and I think that's, that's helped a great deal in, in opening people up to the potential that the voice of the adversary is one that could be noble. Lucian, we, we really appreciate you being here today. As we wrap up the conversation, uh, we just would love to know what's next for the temple. Everything. Everything is next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're really plodding along. I'm, I'm really excited to see how our lawsuit in Texas plays out. Um, we're fighting the abortion restrictions there. We have so much, so much up and coming that it's just, it's almost difficult to to keep track yeah. of it all. But I, I'm really looking forward to our future victories because those are just upon the horizon. Um, even legal authors now who are typically neutral are starting to express irritation when they write up news reports on uh, hearings we've had and things like that. And, and that, that, that ultimately is going to have an effect. Our efforts to uh, kind of change the dialogue of religious liberty and pluralism you know, are going to see fruit very soon. Well, thanks so much, Lucian, for being here. Again, we appreciate the conversation. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, that was enlightening to me. I have not seen the documentary, so I'm going to go watch it immediately. You are in for a treat. <laughs> and, you know, if any of you out there are looking for it, Ali, what is the info on that documentary? I watched it on Hulu. So it's called Hail Satan. Okay, but I cool. think you and our favorite adult baby, Adam, are going to have a great time watching it. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I obviously loved that conversation. Matt loved your addition at the end as well, because definitely, Mm -hmm. like, love it. But there is that issue of the fact that they use the word Satan makes a lot of valid points, but then is hard to just mainstream kind of catch on, at least for now. But, yeah. you know, I thought it was in- his response was interesting as well, that uh, it may become more and more mainstream. So it's the secret to the success of the whole movement. Right. But it's also a blocker to some to it must be a blocker to some people who would love to be part of this. I don't know if I said it here. I'm I, I think about the baggage of words and 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 because we've covered games a lot, and I you know I've said and our listeners know I love video games, obsessed with them, play them obsessively. Do I do, <laughs> and but then. Do, I would never. I never. I recoil at using the word gamer. I fucking hate it because I am literally a gamer by definition, but I but the the word has, has a, a lot of baggage. Baggage, it has a grossness to it and I don't I don't like it and therefore I never self-identify as such and it's it's not one to one but it, like words have baggage and I find that interesting in in this context especially. 100%. 
Well, y'all, we want to hear always what you think about today's conversation and, uh, you know, to pop into any outlet that you can with us to discuss. So why don't you start with Twitter? You can find me at June Bugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can text us and or you could leave us a voicemail. So exciting. That phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. Also, hop into our Discord server. You heard questions from there today. Uh, Discord.gg slash 2G1P. Listeners of the show are there. We're there. Sometimes guests are there. Uh, and we just love hearing from you and getting your questions and interview recommendations. Or join our Facebook group, brand new, within the last few weeks. We would love to help uh, have you help us populate that group. So join us. There are already a bunch of people there, and we're having lively discussions. So that's uh, you can go into Facebook and actually just search Two Girls, One Podcast. That'll be an easy way to find it. Or if you go to our show notes uh, on your uh, screen, you will see uh, all of this information if you forget. Ali, if they would like to contribute, how do they do it? Please visit patreon.com slash 2G1P, and we hope that you will. Uh, this is a small operation and no contribution is too small. All right, everybody, see you next time. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg, then sacrificed to the great deceiver on an altar of pig's blood. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. The best approach to social issues is to deny their existence.